Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Cales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during a time of continued crisis. And I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney White. How are you doing today, sir? Good day to you, Lindsay. Um, doing well in... Um... Uh, blessed by the two services I had, one confirmation and then a marriage service afterwards. Um, and also in the anticipation of tomorrow morning's Eucharist with at eight o'clock and then uh, the confirmation, the second part of the confirmation group will be done tomorrow <coughs> by Bishop Oswald Swartz. Today was Bishop Margaret. So yes, been very blessed. It was a, it was a very, very busy, busy week with um, in the life of the church. So um, I've had to um, find ways in which to rest um, the, 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 you know, and we've also just completed the building project of the Wall of Remembrance. Oh. So, so all of that fell into um, this week. And so it, um, it was, it's, you know, very, very fulfilling, very, um, um, very blessed uh, in, in all of this. Um, so yeah, been good, tired, but not tiring. Ah, I, I, I did see you on my television. Um, I was watching the confirmation service. I had some personal interest there. I'm a young lady who I have seen grow from infant through to young woman who spoke so beautifully at the little shindig we had observing COVID protocols, obviously at a venue um, here in Kells River. And yeah, it was quite a lovely afternoon. I was playing photographer, which I, I do so enjoy sometimes. Uh, I did <laughs> feel a little bit attacked, though, um, by your boss when she said the words. Um, she was inviting everyone who has become so comfortable with engaging digitally with the church back to the seats and yeah i uh, there was there was a it was a i felt it was a little bit irresponsible um to call a a place where a lot of people are gathering in an, an enclosed space um given what we know of how the virus is transmitted um to then just blatantly call it a safe space. I understand from a business perspective the motivations behind that. But yeah, I'm I'm still a little bit uh I I, I think it was more shock than anything else because I haven't heard that kind of talk in a long time. Um yeah. I think Bishop is big enough to speak for herself. So <laughs> part of the motivation I think she had was that there are at least 17 parishes in our diocese of 49 that have um, gone into serious money losses mm. to such an extent that they're hugely in debt by the diocese. Um, some not able to pay the priests their full emoluments. Mm. Some priests even having to pay for the utilities of the house on the meager <coughs> one part of the emoluments. So I think the issue is around 
in order to raise the money, we need to get the people back. Yeah. So that is the that would be part of the motivation. I am I am although she did say we must we must uh, lean on the side of caution at one stage she did say that mm. but um, I'm not keen on um, for example not for, it, you, you know people are saying we we are engaging but we will engage in safety when the time is right that's my view yeah. And I think that if we are able, and this parish gives us, thankfully, the opportunity to minister on all kinds of levels, digitally, that enables us to reach people. Mm. Um, and I think that same people would not have supported this if they didn't feel it was the right thing to do under the circumstances. So I don't think anybody out there is lazy to come back to church, personally. Yeah. I think there is caution, and I appreciate the fact that people are cautious. And remember, children can now be infected. Yes. And we have to be very serious about it. Although people are asking, you know, when will Sunday school open and, you know, all of mm. that kind of thing. But I, I've been very encouraged, you know. We had 27 children between St. Mark's and St. Monica's for, for confirmation. And we had 63 people today. Yeah, 63 yeah. people today. And there's no doubt in my mind what um, what what that people were there. People were wanting to be part of it. The children could easily have said, I'm going to drop out of the whole thing. Yeah. But they chose not to yeah. do that. They came when we asked them to come, when the time was ready to do so. So it's in just in george's and my, and i hope i'm not being selfish i'm just saying i'm so grateful that the community is able to enable us to minister on various levels and so if we can only have 130 right now then that's the right thing to do mm. and if we can open up more people will give us the indication when that time is right since we were able to go back to the 130 more people have come to church in the last two weeks since we were able to do that um, because I think many have more have become vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. So the, the risk of infection is lower. We're still maintaining the protocols and we, we still maintaining the protocols right across the board now that we are allowed to have 100 plus in, in church. But we must not be rushed to do things carelessly. Yeah. So I hear what you are saying, and I have great confidence in the people that God has called me to serve in this part of his vineyard, that they won't be sucked into the comfortability of now we can worship virtually, the church mission is provided, da 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 da, da. No, yeah. I think people long yeah. for community, but they want to do it at the right time. Yeah. Of course, this um, podcast is only one of many digital ways you can access the ministries at St. George's. Um, there's Facebook, there's WhatsApp lines, there's daily devotions on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, there's live streaming of the services. I was actually quite impressed by the the live stream of the of the confirmation service. It was it was quite refreshing to see um, different angles going. There was some roving camera work there at one stage. There was good um, uh, like monitoring different mics and I, I think it was as close to a 
yeah, like you you can't expect any more from a from a from a church live stream like that. And I was yeah, quite impressed and very happy to be a part of trying to get that message out there, trying to keep the community together. Um, we, yeah. yeah, we wanted to do it. You know, the idea is to do it, which was to do it professionally because it is a big service in people's lives. And because we couldn't get granny yeah. and grandpa and yeah. uncle to come, this was one way in which we could get people. I mean, some people, one, 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 uh, uh, the, the young lady who read the, the, the first reading, the New Testament mm. reading, a mm. granny comes all the way from Mos Mosulbay. Wow. And she had to be at wow. their house because there was only place for mom and dad. Yeah. And, uh, and and they, they told me, near grannies, very say, 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 watch that before a TV, And one was quite encouraged to hear that was going on, um, that this was, you know, this this was a means of engaging, this was a means of being part, partaking of what was going on. So there's no way that that granny can say, I didn't see my granddaughter being confirmed. She yeah. even saw a granddaughter reading in church. So those things were a bonus under the circumstances, and the the guy that's done it here, Enrico and his and his um, buddy um, Kyle, they did this our synod hubs, um, uh, um, you know, the virtual thing with the synod, mm. which we had in seven, and we needed somebody with professional skills to do it. Mm. Given that you also had load shedding and stuff, right? Yeah. And now and so and so yes, Enrico them did a very good job. At a very good price for us, um, and and I must be great. I'm very grateful also that we said to the families, if you are able to make a contribution towards the live streaming, we be very grateful. And we raised almost the amount of money we paid for it in for the two services because he charged us for two services <coughs> because he's doing the one tomorrow as well. Yeah. So Enrique has been a great asset to us. Um, uh, in 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 all of that, you know, so that's been been great. No, that was very good. It was very well done. Uh, but of course, this is the twenty first Sunday after Pentecost. The theme you have extracted is made eager to give loving service. And you've taken a Mahatma Gandhi quote here of the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Very much believe in that. May not really jive with Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> as I have explained before. Uh, but if you could please call us together with the collective prayer and I'll catch up with you and unpack the that liturgy today. Thanks, Lindsay. Good morning to you all. I hope that um, you are blessed and willingly participating in this act of, of worship offered by our parish with assistance of our brother Lindsay. So my brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Let us pray the gathering prayer of the collect for this, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. It's on the screen, so pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you came among us as the servant of all. Overturn our wrongful pride and make us eager to serve our sisters and brothers with the loving with loving service with loving self sacrifice for you live and reign with the father and the holy spirit one god forever and ever amen yes as father said the choice verses that we reflect on uh, focus on 
in this discussion or in the podcast description alongside the prayers, the collect being one of them. Uh, our first reading is from Job 38 verses 1 to 7. Then out of the storm, the Lord spoke to Job. Who are you to question my wisdom with your ignorant, empty words? Now stand up straight and answer the questions I asked you. Were you there when I made the world? If you know so much, tell me about it. Who decided how large it would be? Who stretched the measuring line over it? Do you know all the answers? What holds up the pillars that support the earth? Who laid the cornerstone of the world? So this is a wild depiction of <laughs> creation and of God. Uh, God is being characterized here throughout um, this book. He is characterized as very authoritarian. He's characterized as um, a bit of a gambler at some stage. And now he's going directly after Job and is like really dressing him down. Um, and then there's this thing about the cornerstone of the earth and the pillars <clears throat> of that support it and everything. And that's obviously taken from a very ancient understanding of how the earth is, <laughs> what the earth is. What? what do you discern from this passage? What, what is God really? Where, where is the two-way conversation here? What, what is the lesson that God is trying to, to impart? Last week, we had Job raving about looking for God in the East and the West and couldn't find God. Yeah. And, um, and then he was raving that God may be in the North, busy in the North and the South. And then he said about God, if, if he just gets, gets to get to speak to God, he could reason with God and God could understand what he was really asking about. Mm. We, so we have mm. a long hiatus between all of that after all <coughs> the words that Job's friends had spoken to him. And now you hear a God who is like, it was right at the beginning um, when he and Satan were in conversation with one another. Remember first chapters? Yeah. And then, and, 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 and the wonderful CV he gave about Job. And then he comes, now he comes in to start. And so God is, was silent as he listened to all that was being said out of the experiences of Job. And it's very interesting, again, it just, uh, how did the um, authors and the communities of, of the biblical era understand God speaking? How best could they help us with how God speaks? Mm. It was interesting mm. last week that I could speak about, you know, um, if I could just hear what God would say, Jonas, and um, 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 Job said, and then in the Romans, in the Hebrews passage, we read the word of God is uh, sharp and like yeah. a two-edged sword. Yeah. And then in the gospel, you hear Jesus's response to the young man saying, uh, good teacher, tell me, how do I inherit eternal life? So mm. the question I asked, 
Do we hear the voice of God and the word of God when Jesus speaks in the gospel stories to us? So, so is that the, <coughs> the, the way Hebrews passage starts with, in the final days, God spoke through his son, Jesus. Now, here we see a very Old Testament theme of how God speaks in um, Elijah. We're going to hear him speak in a still small voice mm. and not in the storm. The storm would suggest, would it suggest anger? Would it suggest um, disappointment? And so he had to take Job head on. Mm. You know, that's the image one begins to understand. Um, yeah, you know, God is, 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 is seen as creator God, the Lord of the storm, the Lord of earth and sea and sky. And God speaks through creation. Um, and even the storm, though scary, is a phenomenon of creation. If once, I mean, there are those who I believe chase the storms to see how they start and how they pan out. But if one sits still and listen to the storm, you know, wonder what one would gain by it instead of just fear, because there must be some form of beauty in the storm also. But when he speaks, um, it is to 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 Job. Um, and direct challenge to these words. How can you question my wisdom with your ignorance and your empty words? Is it true, therefore, that we do suffer ignorance when it comes to God? When it comes to many other things, like, like right now, there are many advocating that they know for sure that they won't take the, the vaccine because somebody said it has the mark of the beast in it. <laughs> so, so how do they verify that that is true of the vaccine? Because they've come to believe it, whoever said it. And it's based on somebody who's religious and somebody who says they saw it in the Bible. And so now it must be true. So I think that we as human beings must acknowledge that part of our search for truth, for God, for meaning, starts in the arena of ignorance. We just don't know. And any words we speak to something we don't know are words of emptiness. And that is true. And so, so, so I was reading an interpret, a, a reflection on this. So God says, okay, so now I want you to stand up straight. Mm. You question me. I'm going to turn it on you now and place you in the question. The, the person who will receive the questions and provide the answers. You provide me now with the answers. Because you were looking, you were making statements based on what? And so um, stand up straight is not an insult. In other words, God is saying, I want you to look me squarely in the eye. I want you to answer me honestly when I put these questions to you. Because you were searching and making statements. 
but all of it was based on the fact that you just did not know. Mm. However, isn't it interesting that even in our ignorance, when we spill it out in empty words, in terms of this passage, God still seeks to find us. He comes to meet us, even if it be in a storm to answer us. He wants to respond. He wants to engage us, but he wants to do it in a way that will be transforming. Answer the questions I ask you. Now, this sounds like, you know, a um, very tough, a very tough experience. Were you there when I made the world? Would that not seem to be an unfair question? It is. That's why I was saying, like, <laughs> what, what is the lesson here? What is... <laughs> but it is true. That's a question we need to ask. We ask. We need to be asked that question um, because it's a question that you and I encounter. We speak of things and somebody said, but were you there when all of this happened? And then we would say, but no, we weren't there. We heard, oh, you heard, but you weren't there yourself. So you weren't an actual witness to this thing. And even if you witnessed it, would your witnessing not be a form of bias when you talk about it? Because your eyes and ears would be focused on certain things, not on the whole thing. But yes, your witness would be credible in that you would witness to what you saw and what you heard. So was I there at the beginning? No, I wasn't. So how then can I say anything? If you know so much, tell me about it. <laughs> <clears throat> so I think it's necessary for us to understand that there's, that yes, even in our faith exploration, we speak out of ignorance. And it's only an encounter with God that can help us on the right road. And God meets us in a state of honesty. I then, I then, I then would, I'm, in fact, I would love to be in the place of Job in this kind of storytelling. Really? I, yes. I see it I a little bit differently. Um, I, I would change just dialogue with God. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But here you have someone who at the beginning of the book was being described as the most faithful servant. So yes. like you have the image of an all-knowing, all-powerful God, right? So now the person who he was so confident, um, just I'm sorry for gendering God, my apologies. <laughs> God was so confident that this is his most faithful servant that he said, dude, Satan, you can go try and try your luck. You know, you're not going to shake this dude. And now suddenly he's not, it's there's almost a disappointment. And it's like, there's two things at play here. One is the all-knowing God should have known that this exists within Job. Should have known that at some stage on this path, uh, ignorance and arrogance would creep in. But also, there should be an ex... There's, there's kind of the implication that 
we are all again just things that are made for a specific purpose because this is the way that I, I interpret when God is like were you there when I made the world Do you know who decided how large it must be like who measured it and all that stuff and it's like are you now saying that Job mustn't question anything and just kind of live the life and be like faithful without knowing. And this is when you believe in like that all powerful knowing and that God is. So, how could you even be expected to remain on the path? when you can't, you don't know what the path is, you know? Well, you know, I think that that's why I like the scripture. Although there is an assumption that we sh- that God should have known, what was what is more of a blessing is that God brings the things out into the open. In other words, I know people will say how difficult I may be if I allow you to go through all of those things and expect you to do so without question. But that's your assumption of me. Mm. Does it, so, 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 so Job's faithfulness was, he, he had said to his wife, remember the argument he had with his wife? And yeah. she said, has God and die? He said, how can you say that when God sends you both the, the, that which is not so good and that which is good? Uh, how can you now turn your back on God? Mm. But the suffering was tough. The loss was great. Who cannot begin to say, Lord, what is your that's the purpose of all of this? And 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 not begin to rile. Uh, uh, and that God allowed him, and God intervenes only at a particular point and says, Okay, you've had your chance to vent. Now, in order to help you, I need to make you understand that my wisdom is of such a nature that, you know, it's it's not as if it's beyond question. When ignorance and wisdom clash with each other, mm. it's a huge clash. And so, Inevitably, that's, you know, somebody, somebody described for me man, some years ago, he said, you know, <clears throat> the cross, when Jesus, Jesus stands in between man and God, the two are embroiled in this, let's call it the, 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 the wisdom and ignorance. And they clash. And Jesus takes all of that to bring God and man into a reconciled relationship. Um, I think I think what this story is telling us is that we're heading for that because we are questioning God. We are questioning God's wisdom in some of the things that happen to us. And does the story say we shouldn't question it? Or does he trying to take us out of our ignorance 
Make us now the one who has to answer questions. What is the starting point of all of this? So in other words, how is God presenting God's self when he said, when he asks us now, were you there when I made the world? Okay, Lord, I wasn't there. And if you know so much, tell me about it. So what's he accusing um, Job of there? If you know so much. And there's also that in spite of our wanton ignorance, the world would want to argue that we have lots of knowledge. The, the world would want to argue that our knowledge is of so, such a profound philosophical nature that we could argue God away. And we do. Mm -hmm. We can argue God out of existence, making ourselves the starting point of everything. The world starts and ends with me. And when everything ends, it ends. So in other words, if there's no end except my end, which is end and finish and clear, then there must not be no beginning before, before I, I came into it. So, so one could understand that God is in a way, presenting himself here, trying to get, because isn't this the, the, the conflict? I'm faithful to God, but who is this God when I'm in trouble in the way that I've been? And does it mean that in my faithfulness, I don't think ignorantly? I don't ask ignorant questions. I don't say ignorant things. So I think that, 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 that we hear God speak to Job is very vital. And how would God speak to him, given the struggle of his, of his sufferings? And God would like us to, God would like to put the record straight. Um, I have this great wisdom. So if you understand me as one who has this great wisdom, who knows why I put things in place, is he then also not inviting us to the level of trust? Is he inviting us into a space of trust, out of a space of ignorance, a space of saying, you know, the wisdom of God is of so, such a nature. I am just part of all that he made. Um, so what, he, what would be his plan in conjunction with everything for me? Because I'm, I'm not so special that I must have God has special plans about me. I'm part of God's plan of all of God's creation. And yes, I matter. I matter to him. And so I have to learn. And, and learning is not easy, as you well know. Learning in life is hard. But here's the sense of conflict. It's like the burden of wisdom is imparting knowledge to the ignorant. Because it's like the four quadrants of, of knowledge. Sure. Where it's like the known knowns, the unknown unknowns, like all that stuff. So now we're firmly in unknown, unknown territory here with this little conflict that's going on. And instead of building a bridge of knowledge, offering some of this great wisdom to Job, to the ignorant Job, because remember, it's it's a he's he's in unknown unknown territory, so he doesn't even know his ignorance. So there should be empathy, but instead we are greeted by this hard words 
and like these difficult, overwhelming questions. Like this is not questions that would come from someone who is secure in their own wisdom. So like there's a lot of insecurities being passed from the authors, like their perspective of their relationship with the higher power. And I was actually struck with this when I started taking notes when the bishop was speaking. She had this line of like, if God is at the center of your life, there wouldn't be violence. And she was talking about gender-based violence, all the violence in the, in the world. And for me, that is patently wrong because what if your understanding of God is not the correct one? Like at the end of time, you figure out, oh crap, I was wrong. So if you made that the center of, like that's how doctrine starts to influence the world. That's where you get holy wars of like conflicting um, belief systems because everyone is holding this idea in their center and they like, mine is right, yours is wrong. And then you get the inevitable conflict. So how do we pass from ignorance into some form of wisdom? when you're just being hit by this wall of like impenetrable knowledge? <laughs> well, it's not just, it's not just knowledge. It's God revealing God's self through what he does as creator. Hmm. And so it's a way in which God was saying to 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 know to um job and drawing him into this kind of relationship of understanding of who god is because ultimately we won't know god if god doesn't reveal god's self to us in ways that we can understand and, and we can imagine um who decided how large it would be now none of i mean i don't know how large the universe is Scientists are still exploring over many years so far. Um, I'm just reading a book on Southern African history and um, talking about 100 or 200,000 years ago, this was the to be found to be the cradle of, of humanity. But mm. the, the world is, is more, much more older than that. We, we can't even say that. Um, if you, uh, where did he said, uh, who stretched the measuring audible? So, so in other words, ought we to have been looking at creation and considering that he holds all of this in his hands? And if he does, then even, and, and the world goes through various challenges. I, I just think of, you know, the first time I th I thought of tsunami waves, because mm. that's mm. phenomenon. I remembered many years ago seeing a film where they showed us, and it was only called tidal waves at the time. Yeah. I knew nothing about tsunamis. <clears throat> then when I read up how these tsunamis form, I... And, and I remember that, what, what was the tsunami in 2000 and when was that big tsunami, 2009, or was it earlier than that? 
in, in the Asian country. I said in my sermon, you know, we we look at this as, as a, cat, a, cat, a, a catastrophe, a, a cat, catastrophe. Yeah. Because it took yeah. human lives, right? It took human lives. That's when it becomes a, cat, a, cat, a catastrophe. Yeah. But didn't the shifting of that Teutonic plates reveal to you just how dynamic God's world is? It's alive. It is dynamic. Uh, we don't understand. <laughs> we take chances with the world. I mean, I wondered when I thought of tsunami, all those nuclear-powered bombs that North Korea throws into the sea to test how far their bombs would go and what damage it would do, does that not have an effect on what goes on in the sea? And so here's the response of nature. I don't know. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of just thinking that. How much fish does it kill? How much sea life does it destroy when we do what we do to the world? And so if you just, so God points to creation and says, if you just took a minute to listen, to listen, to take in how, how all of this is held together, how all of this is able to, to happen, um, how the stars do their thing and all of that kind of thing. We just stood still and thought for a moment at creation in order to understand creator and the wisdom he holds. And you are just part of all of that. And I'm holding everything in the palm of my hands, in the safety, in the sustaining power of my hands. If you just, if you just understood that for a moment, then perhaps you would have grown in wisdom and not stayed ignorant because you centered the world around yourself. But that's what we human beings are. We do center the world around ourselves. Um, we, we think of creation and we think of other people second to ourselves. Um, I think this was the classroom scenario to shock us out of all of this ignorance. We confronted with the reality that we are called to stand up straight to and to answer. So for me, I would value being that student, given that I need to be shocked out of my ignorance and then realize I'm still ignorant in spite of that even as things are being revealed. So, yeah, you know, do we stop to see ourselves as part of creation and what we can learn about creation, about, about the creator through creation? Because some theologians believe, and I don't have a problem with that, I can, God's, God's revelation himself to us is through creation. And so this was one way in which God was saying to Job, and we are all Job, in spite of your faithfulness, and it has carried you through because here you are, now I'm able to speak to you and you, because I've listened. I've listened to where you're coming from. I listened to how you managed all of this. How, how informed was your faithfulness? How informed were you about me to be able to manage what was what you had experienced? And I mean, there's many people <coughs> who, 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 who surrender themselves. I mean, I think 
it was difficult for Jesus to hang on the cross. Why would he use the words of Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me as the opening statement to his suffering on the cross? You know, uh, uh, let's get real. That's how we feel mm. when the suffering is, is what's his name. And then hearing no response, which is probably... Um, I read I read this in some let me let me just see if I can get hold of it quickly. Um in in a comment on 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 Job, uh this guy uses a quote um in a, in a very beautiful way. He says, Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer, drawled Garth Brooks. Hmm. And I found I found that very interesting way of putting it. Um that he that the, the author the author drawled over what he had said, so so God's uh, silent and listening ear at some point brings us to where He needs to inform us, and so we find out that even our level of faithfulness, uh, the depths of it, the um, our understanding of God, um, you know, is wanting. Mm. I would have loved to be in this classroom <laughs> as the student. Uh, that's a neat little segue into because because I have an important question for you. Uh, so in Hebrews chapter five, verses one to ten, it's like every high priest is chosen from his fellow men and appointed to serve God on their behalf to offer sacrifices and offerings for sin. No one chooses for himself the honor of being a high priest. It is only by God's call that the man is made a high priest, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take upon himself the honor of being a high priest. Instead, God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. You will be a priest forever in the priestly order of Melchizedek. I hope I said that right. Yes, you did very well. You did uh, very, very well. He was the, uh, what was it, Abraham? Um, yeah. Uh, which war was it? When Abraham went to go rescue Lot, and on their way back, they met yeah. with Melchizedek, and he was simultaneously a priest and a king. So this is like Jesus is now the priestly king. <laughs> um, so my question to you is, how do you experience your vocation? Do you consider yourself as being appointed by people, by your fellow people, to serve God on their behalf? Or were you called by God? Do you believe that you were called by God to serve on the behalf of other people? I want to start my response by by taking you back to something I didn't respond to you early on when you said the bishop had said to this young to the to the confirmants, um, if you had God on your side, you'd be able there'd be no violence. The center of your life. <laughs> if God was the center of your life. So when I was young, that 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 was the sense for me. I had had committed my life to 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 serving God. Um, at a very young age, 12 years old was when I consciously did that. And it related also to my confirmation years. Um, 
Now, now, of course, whether we are conscious about that, we at that age is very difficult to say for, for some of us. We go through experiences often not being conscious of it ourselves. Mm. But if God is then at the center of my life, what then happens? Because that's what my experience says. God's at the center of your life, you will not have any violence. I then, I then, I then had a profound desire in me to seek to speak the gospel to people. I was fascinated by the gospel. I learned the Bible by learning texts of the Bible. I would write it down and paper and cardboard and pin it to my, um, stick it to my wall. My walls were full of biblical texts. Um, now, I wouldn't read the Bible like that today. I would like to read the Bible in a holistic way. But those are the childish ways in which I got into Scripture, mm. which I got to engage Scripture. And for me, the message of Scripture was so vital um, that I had a real deep desire to want to speak that. Now, I had no clue what that meant. In exercising this, when I got into my, I was in Standard 9, 10, when I was involved in prayer groups at our church in Westridge, and I was often asked to share a message. And then out of that, when the elder, I used to, visit, I used to go and do pastoral visits to the care, I just had this desire to reach out to people in their need. And I was also, in Senate 910, aware of the injustices of our country and became politically aware against this having it. So, so in the context of the church in Westridge, in, in, in being part of that prayer groups, that one of them, in fact, together they may have conspired behind my back, I don't know, came to me and said, you are going to be working there. And that's how I got into the life of the church. Mm -hmm. So it was out of a sense of community that these guys felt that I had a call, a vocation to the priesthood. Now, of course, I was totally ignorant of what that meant. Sure, I knew what the priest did on a Sunday and all of that, but out about vocation, I knew nothing. I had absolutely no understanding of any of those things. All I knew was that from age 12, I wanted to preach the gospel to people. I really didn't understand what that meant. Yet it seemed to be coming, it started crystallizing that it was in the context of a community. And when I was then in at St. George, St. Church of the Resurrection, in, in, in Church of the, um, um, the Mannenberg Anglican Church, I then be began to crystallize in that bigger community that this was the call towards the priesthood. And that's how I ended up being becoming a priest. So my call was confirmed right from the beginning, as it were, by the community. Mm. But I lived what I was feeling inside my heart. That if God is at the center of my being, then my desire was not for violence. It was for good news. It was to pastorally care for people. It was to speak out against injustice. 
if I could sort of trim it down to that. It was to care for people. Uh, so it began to crystallize. So it began to take shape for me. But I can only say this because I'm reflecting back. Mm. Um, I often ask myself the question, would I, um, would I have been, um, what would I have been if I wasn't called to be a priest? <coughs> no, I wanted to be an accountant. I wanted to be a carpenter. None of those things were realized in the journey. And I would, I would, I would say it was, it was steered by the community of prayer, a community that on a week-to-week -week basis met to worship, to reflect, to pray um, on the scriptures, to be together in fellowship, like the Acts Church was. Mm. Uh, that's what we were operating. And it was out of that. Uh, and I still think that that's how I am in all the churches I've served in. It was that sense of, of, of the community enabling me to be priest and priestly amongst them who are called to be the priestly people, the priesthood of God. And so um, that would be my response to, to you in terms of oh. the question you asked. Okay. No, that's that's very um that's very interesting. And you are as <laughs> as the bishop noted uh, still in your honeymoon phase in the in the parish of St. George. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very interesting she says that because if I go to any of the parishes I've served in, except the first one where one person, when I was appointed to become priest in charge, said the bishop forced you on us. That was my very first, after being an assistant priest, that was my very first... Uh, pastoral charge I did, uh, what's the name? And I said in my, probably in my ignorance, well, if you don't want me here, just tell the bishop and I'll move on, which was also a word of wisdom. I'm not going to be forced onto people. Yeah. You know, if if the church is spoken to the bishop, that this is where they want me to serve, and they come to the local church and one person has resistance against it, and that influences the rest of the body, then I'm keen to say, maybe it's not for me to be here, then I need to go where I'm called to be. However, he retract, and he retract so deeply that eventually he began to realize he was wrong, simply because he wanted power, you see, to make the decision, whereas the bishop said, this is how it's going to pan itself out. But in all the other congregations, um, I don't know if it's to my shame. I must be careful how I say this. But yes, I experienced a real measure of honeymoon status with congregations for a long period of time and was able to leave, though on a very sad note because we had to part, but on a very joyful note that we were able to spend as long as we were together. So I'm grateful that even now, I mean, we are now sixth year here already. Mm. You know, time has, has gone so past so quickly. And in every other parish, I served longer than five years. Uh, yeah, the first parish I did four years, but in the rest, I all served longer. In fact, longer than seven years. The shortest I was in any of the parishes except the first one was seven and a half years. So 
Um, and for that, I'm very, very grateful that there was at no stage a time when I said I, I wanted to move on. There's no time that the congregation felt I was not leading them anywhere. But it was also a time in which I waited for the church at large to say where they felt that this should be. I know there are clergy who would say, after five years, I move on. And there were other clergy who, after 10 years, think they can stay there forever. And there are evidences of people like that. Now, I don't want I don't want to be a burden to people. I don't want to be a burden to a congregation at all. Yeah. So if at any time anybody says to the council, the wardens, look, I think Rodney's had his term here. He needs to move on from Kales River. Then, you know, people are free to do that. And I would lovingly accept that. If I'm not doing what God wants you to do, or if it's just time for me to move on, I don't feel that in my spirit yet. Um, but because yes, I am still in mind. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, you know, uh, really enjoying my ministry in these three congregations. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting uh, thing to have the bishop being a former rector of St. George's because um, with, within the dynamics of today's confirmation service was uh, kind of, it was a little bit of amusing to me because it was a real closing of the circle where um, there was a young lady who, um, when her parents conceived her, they were both in church societies and they were actually advised to abdicate <laughs> or leave their societies because of the the nature of the pregnancy um, and then they were married and then the child was baptized by the priest by the rector who then became the bishop and then today was confirmed by the same and then the speech that the young lady gave Really, there was not many dry eyes in the in the audience, and it was just a connection the family has to their faith, and just like a mm. deep feeling. And you rewind it, and you're like, but the circumstances were so frowned upon then, and look how beautifully it has become now. And yeah, I, I don't know what it is I'm reflecting on there, but it's just it's it's just it's just a fascinating occurrence. Like life tie, yeah. I'd like to tie that up with, with Job's story. Because because there was a challenge for that couple. Hmm. And but they remained faithful. And I think that even though Job operated in a, a deep level of, in, of, of, of ignorance, he remained faithful. Not once did he stop searching for God. And then, as it turned out with Job, things got better. There was blessings in store for him as well. So it teaches us that if that couple had given up, after they were asked to step down, given the circumstances of the pregnancy, as you said, they would perhaps have been so distant from all of this 
but for them, they accepted what the church had asked them to do, but they remained and grew in their faithfulness. Came back with the baby and said, we want to present this child to God. That same child is able to now publicly have made her faith known to the world in a confirmation service. So I would want to tie it to Job's continued sense of faithfulness, even though he stumbled through it, which is what we all do. And so that's a, 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 a thing that I uh, want, want to embrace. And I think it's in the life of our Lord described here in Hebrews too. Uh, I underlined the words just so because he was humble and devoted. That, that spirit, that attitude, you know, of humility and devotion, in spite of the, the challenge of, of, of the journey, mm. um, will end up with what God has, has planned um, at the end of the road, as it were, the culmination of that journey. So that's a great witness, in fact, that you, sh you share of that mom and dad with their children. Yeah, and I mean, that the children are sure enough to be able to make publicly known what their hearts are filled with. Mm, mm. I mean, obviously, I do not share like the same perspective on faith um, that they do, but it has been quite a, a, a today was quite an experience to see um, them reach that milestone after all of those challenges that were placed before them. And it, I mean, sometimes even the Gospels <laughs> show a little bit of a, a surprise for me, a pleasant surprise, especially like in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45 where Jesus actually lays bare his, the philosophy of his leadership style, which I, I embrace. I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of solid lessons in here. So James and John, sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they were like, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said that we are all able. Um, but then he's like, it's not for him to say who can sit at his left and right hand. It's for those for whom it has been prepared. And then he's like, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, Lord, oh, Lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And I, I enjoy this because... It imparts this idea that you must be willing to help people reach the goal that you have set. You know, you must be the servant because, and it flies in the face of what I believe God is represented as in the Job story, where it's like he's just speaking one way instead of. <laughs> You know, because like like when I take up a lead, when I had leadership positions in organizations, 
my strategy, my vision was guiding the business. And I had to get, I had the responsibility to make that vision clear to everybody and to assist everybody to get to the optimal output that I needed from them to reach the goal. So yeah, I, I, I like I like this passage. Is there anything else that I may be missing, some currents, undercurrents that, that you have, have pulled out of this? Well, I would like to tie up what Jesus says here about service with, with God's presentation of himself in Job. God has been of service to the world through his work of creation. Creation um, is a way in which God serves life. The the very the very um, vision of God, the eternal vision of God, is life. Is life giving? So um, so it, it no different to your model that you just describe yourself to be like. But Jesus does have to on, have to answer into a question of this sense of greatness, wanting to be better than others, wanting to lord it over others, and and so much so that. You know, John and James wanted to have that acknowledgement in the heavenly realms as well. Um, I, <laughs> would we be dealing here with a sense of entitlement? Did they think they were better than any of the other mm. disciples? And um, what is Jesus teaching us about um, being on, you know, that in fact, are we meant to be I, I think that that's that's part of our struggle in the church at the moment, where titles make us think we are better than than others. And so if I have the title of rectorship, therefore I am above the rest and must be looked up to. <coughs> Yet the title of rector, if looked at the charge given to us by 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 the church in the charge of being a priest, it is about servant leadership. Mm. It's mm. not about sitting on a throne and everybody bows down to you. And some of our us operate like that, that others make must kowtow to our decisions. I had one experience the other day in Synod where I had made a proposal and my seconder had a seconder. And there were those who felt that that wasn't the way the church should go. Now, personally, it wasn't my own understanding of, of, of anything. I was asked to write about, to, to write a measure about it, which I took on. I was asked and I'm, I'm called to serve. So I served in that capacity of bringing this to the mind of the church before God. And um, we, we, we eventually went from Synod's first reading of the measure, arguments for and against it, and then to committee of Synod to rewrite that measure. They rewrote it in the way that legal stuff has to be rewritten yeah. canonically, which I'm not schooled in, and I accepted it. So did my seconder. <laughs> Those who opposed it were at the meeting and they felt still very much opposed to it. And then as the night went on and the day dawned, <coughs> I woke up with this thought in my mind. If there is 
a part of the church that does not think this is where we should go, then do I have the right to enforce it onto the church? And I remember ancient wisdom which said that if everybody's not together on that same thing, then maybe we should not have it because it's not the right time to do so. I then called my seconder and her words to me was, you're confirming exactly where I am. So would I have been of service for the church if I held on to my position staunchly? Or am I more of a servant of God or ex exercising servanthood by saying, if it's not now when all of us are on the same page, let me withdraw it. And I did withdraw it. Uh, I told that to, to them. I walked away feeling as if I had been of service to the church rather than selfishly holding on to an argument that would have ended out even more soury had it continued. So I am called to be a servant amongst servants. And I can't serve better than you because we're all human. So <coughs> Jesus has to address the whole, <coughs> excuse me, the whole area of, of greatness because somehow why leaders in the church think that when they have this leadership position that, you know, they must now be served. It's, it's, it just doesn't gel because we're not reading and understanding in fact, when we uh, when we stress our titles, it is as a sign of our insecurities mm. and of our what's his name. Um, and so I agree with you. Jesus took a very challenging stance. He made comparison and he said, that's not the way we do things. You're called to a much higher level of thinking and understanding here, a deeper level of wisdom. And this wisdom, my teaching you, is based on the example of my own life. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for me. You know, and it's easy for us to say just the first part. Uh, we, we are called to serve, to serve and not be served. But what he goes on to say about service is crucial. It's to give your life so that others are redeemed. If my leadership of service doesn't lead to that level, then it's not true service. Mm -hmm. It's got to give life to other people. It's got to give life. If my way of ministering is not of that that gives life to others through serving, not through being, because when I'm authoritarian, it takes the life out of people. Mm. It doesn't give them life. But if I am with them on the same grounds, bringing them to an understanding, learning from them, serving with them. I mean, I've, I've often um, had to think about this when people ask me to pray for them. Then I, I have had to learn, eventually learn, when I thought about those words, am I meant to pray for them? Or am I meant to pray with them? Mm. And that in praying with them, I'm praying for them. 
but what would the starting point of service be to pray with them? Rather yeah. than, you know, you know what I'm, I'm trying to say yeah. in simple terms. So, yeah. so I think that the whole thing of service that Jesus comes to offer is the same that God is saying to, to, to our dear brother Job. I've always been of service through my work of creation. Because I come to give life. Well, I guess our yeah. conflict is then just the way that information is presented and our understanding of that. But I think that is a good way to end it. We almost ended it in perfect agreement <laughs> in a strange <laughs> of events. <laughs> but if you could please extract a few brief further reflections in the presence of the church. Thank you very much for this wonderful conversation. I, I thank you very much for that. I just want to say that based on 45, we, we pray strongly for our elections and that those who are wanting to serve politically must take cognizance of what Jesus had said, because we have had too many elections in which politicians have failed the people by not being of service um, to them. Once their votes are in, that person forgets the call to serve. Mm. So, so let's think about the church praying for politicians at this time in our country. And sadly, we have realities, Lord, where because people want position and power, they even murder, assassinate the opposition to them. Please preserve us from that, which has already happened. But please, we pray that it won't happen. Stop those who would want to do it that way. And may our elections be free and fair. And above all, may the proper people be chosen, the competent people, the people who have a spirit of servant leadership, who will do the best for your people in this nation of ours. May you continue to give the church, Lord, power to proclaim the gospel. Pray for the unity of your church and pray for peoples of different faiths to ourselves. As we seek truth, as we seek to live together in your love, may you continue like you did with Job, reveal your glory in the world. Bless Lord Bishop Margaret, Tabu, our Metropolitan, Bishop Oswald Swartz, retired Bishop, who will come and do the confirmation tomorrow. Thank you for those who've been confirmed today and pray for those who will be confirmed tomorrow with their families and we are grateful for these young people, Lord, who've stepped, who, who like Job, have stood up straight to answer the questions of their faith and to commit themselves to you and to following your way. Lord, we have much to give thanks to you in your work of creation. There is so much beauty. There is so much resources. Sadly, we are not always worthy stewards of your gifts. 
We pray that you may forgive us for our greed and for our wastage. Give us now, Lord, a reverence for all of your creation. Lord, there are so many nations around the world. In some nations, leaders, Lord, are truly giving their best. Others are there for selfish and dictatorial reasons. But for all leaders, Lord, strip them as we have prayed in the collect today from wrongful pride so that they may lead the people of their nations with your wisdom and in justice and for peace, honoring one another and seeking the common good. Please protect our constitution and democracy. We think of family and friends, those with special claims upon us, Lord. We know that many of us have lost family members throughout of this COVID season. And people are struggling with grief and bereavement. Please help them. Please keep families closely linked together. Those families, Lord, who are broken, bring the healing and the wholeness. And bless those who started family life today in their marriages. So we pray for our brothers and sisters who are reported in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. We think of Father Alex, Lynette, Colin, and Merle, all who undergoing therapy and undergoing operations. We also pray for Colin September. Give them courage, healing, and a steadfast trust in your love. <clears throat> As we thank you for the vaccines, Lord, we pray that many will choose the responsible way so that our nation can then, with other nations, bring this, vi this virus to its end as we continue to be vaccinated and keep the protocols. Lord, we also pray for those that have died this past week. Grant them eternal rest and us with them a share in your eternal kingdom. We thank you that you've built your church on Christ Jesus, our Lord, together with Mary, the Virgin Mother of our Lord, the patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles and martyrs. And so we commend ourselves in all people and all Christian people to your unfailing love. God, please bless African all continents. God, our children, guide our leaders and give us peace. 
And for Jesus' sake, please bless those who celebrate their birthdays and their wedding anniversaries this week. Continue pouring your love into their lives by your unveiling, by your availing presence. So accept these, our prayers, merciful Father, for the sake of your Son, who gave his life for us, even Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. And so, my brothers and sisters, as you go, we go into this week. Go now with the words of your high priest in your ears. You are a forgiven people. Though Christ has welcomed you to his table, do not lord it over others. Strive not to be served, but to serve and pray with cries and tears for the salvation of all. And may God be present to you in times of trial. May Christ Jesus pray for you and secure your forgiveness. May the Holy Spirit fill you with hope and humility. Go in peace with courage, now to love and serve the Lord. May we go in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us. God bless you until next week. Please join us again. Bye now.